You are listening to the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCurry, your host, and also the leader for the Adult Explore the Bible team. Today, I'm being joined by David Briscoe, who's one of the editors of the Adult Explore the Bible team. Dave, thank you for being with us today. Glad to be here. Uh, We're going to be looking at session seven of our study of Luke. Uh, Session seven looks at Luke 20, verses 9 through 19. Uh, The main point here is that God offers salvation through faith in Jesus alone. In verses 9 through 20, uh, excuse me, 9 through 12, we begin by seeing Jesus uh, telling people a parable about a vineyard owner who went away. While away, he sent servants to retrieve the owner's share of the fruit. All three servants were beaten and sent away empty-handed. We've entitled verses 9 through 12 just the servants, and the main point here is that mistreating God's servants points to disrespect for God. In verses 13 through 16a, the the parable continues with Jesus sharing that the vineyard owner then sent his son. The tenant farmers conspire by killing the son with the hope of the vineyard becoming theirs. When Jesus rhetorically asked about the next step, he stated that the vineyard owner should kill these farmers and give the vineyards to others. In our outline, we've entitled this the son And the main point is that believers demonstrate respect for the Father through expressing faith in Jesus. Jesus concludes at this point because the crowd protest about the vineyard being given to others. And Jesus directs them to Psalm 118. He taught that the rejected stone would be the cornerstone for those who accepted him and a millstone for those who rejected him. The religious leaders understood the parable to be against uh, against them. They refrain from attacking Jesus because they're afraid the crowd uh, will turn on them. And that's in that's verses uh, 16b through 19 of chapter 20. And we've entitled that part of the outline the stone, with the main idea that failing to accept Jesus brings judgment. David, let's look at some key questions here. Some things that we may uh, in, face as we teach this. Uh, in our Bible study groups. Let's start with this. What were the expectations of the hearers as Jesus told this parable? And how would those expectations impact how we understand this parable? Well, let me uh, let me remind us, just as sort of uh, setting the context here, that this event takes place uh, during Jesus's final week before his crucifixion and resurrection. So he's in Jerusalem. He and his disciples are in Jerusalem. And uh, in Luke 19, verses 45 to 48, we see that he's cleansed the temple, uh, which means he upended the uh, tables of the people who were money changers and and selling and buying stuff there in the temple. So he had done that. And the religious leaders were already determined to kill Jesus, but were being restrained, as you mentioned, by the the people's desire to hear Jesus teach. So the Pharisees in particular had, had determined, we, we've got to get rid of this guy. And so uh, in chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, you have this setting even more uh, particularized. One 
it says one day as he was teaching the people, so he's teaching in the temple, teaching the people in the temple and proclaiming the good news. Then the chief priests and the scribes with the elders. So you have chief priests, they're the temple administrators. They own, quote unquote, they own the, that's the temple is their bailiwick. It's their property. This is their home turf. Their home turf. Uh, so here's Jesus drawing crowds in the place where they do their business. The chief priests and the scribes uh, and the elders, these are probably community leaders, family leaders. And so they, as Jesus was teaching, they came to him and said, tell us by what authority you're doing these things. They meant things like upending the uh, money changers tables or gathering crowds in the temple courtyards and teaching. And who is it who gave you this authority? So think about that. They're, they're the authority at the temple. As Luke tells that incident there, he, Jesus refused to answer, but you know, turned it back on them and said, well, let me ask you this. What about John the Baptist? You know, was he of God? Was he from God? Was his message from God? Who was his authority? And they wouldn't answer that question because, again, they knew the people like John the Baptist. Yeah, they knew that was a trap, didn't they? They respected John the Baptist. So the, uh, the, the religious leaders were sensitive to the fact that uh, Jesus was popular with the people, uh, some groups of people there, uh, and they had to watch what they did, but they were, they were determined. They were going to find a way to, um, to get rid of Jesus. And so he refused to answer the question, but he, he turns back, Jesus turns back to the people, and that's when he tells this parable. Sometimes it's called the parable of the vineyard owner. Sometimes it's called the parable of the wicked tenants. It, it's basically uh, those titles are just looking at the parable from uh, the different characters that are part of that. But when Jesus began the parable, a man planted a vineyard. Uh, you can imagine then that the religious leaders who were there, oh, that, that might have spurred a thought about Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, where God planted a vineyard, where the, the song of the vineyard that Isaiah told, where it, it turns out that the vineyard was a picture of Israel, the covenant people. It, the expectations of the uh, religious leaders then may have been, whoa, what What's this about a vineyard? And so Jesus goes on and tells the parable. You've got an owner of the vineyard, the man who plants the vineyard. He's the owner. Presumably it's his land. Presumably he buys, purchases, somehow obtains the vines, gets them planted, gets it ready. And so he's getting it started, but then he leases it to... Uh, the tenant farmers, and and this is an unusual, an unusual way of doing things uh, in terms of doing a vineyard. Uh, so the tenant farmers would then work it; they would tend it, prune it, and then when the fruit uh, ripened, they would be the ones to harvest it. But the expectation was then that at harvest time, the owner would receive a portion 
50-50 or whatever the agreed on portion would be because he owns it and they're his vines uh, and the tenants get a set, uh, share because they worked it and harvested it. So the time comes and the owner sends a servant to collect and the tenant farmers beat the servant, send him home. The owner sends another one. They do the same thing. He sends yet a third one. The same thing happens. And so as Jesus is telling this parable, he comes to this finally sending his, the owner sends his beloved son. Ah, here are people listening. These religious leaders, these chief priests, these scribes, these elders, who already have been talking among themselves. How are we, we got to get rid of this guy. We got we to gotta be careful because the people like him, but we got to get rid of this guy who claims to be the Messiah, who claims to be the son of God. And here's Jesus telling a parable about the owner of the vineyard sending his beloved son. There's great irony in that, in, in what's happening right here, isn't there? Right. And, and, and to me, that's, that's probably the place where the expectations of the hearers get revealed because here, here's what Jesus says happens in the, in the parable. Uh, they kill the son. They don't just beat him. They kill the son. And their re reasoning is we kill the son. We get the vineyard. Now that doesn't sound like uh, logical thinking. It doesn't sound really, uh, certainly not just uh, thinking, uh, but that's the way Jesus told the story. And it's at that point then that he asks the hearers, well, what do you think an owner is going to do? How will he respond? And he doesn't wait for an answer. It's a rhetorical question. He says, here's what he, the owner is going to do. He's going to come and kill those tenant farmers and give the vineyard to others. Now, in some of Jesus's parables, you know, you don't get that shock statement. This one's got the shock statement. Because when Jesus said, what's the owner going to do? He's going to kill and kill those tenant farmers and give the vineyard to others. That's where the expectation of the hearers gets revealed, especially the chief priests and scribes and elders. So would, so that, explain, would that explain why they would protest at that point? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's where, and Jesus, <laughs> Jesus knew this. As I said, he, he constructed this parable on purpose, intentionally. And here's where it, it opened it up. It revealed their hearts. It revealed what they were really thinking. But Luke writes in verse 16b, but when they heard this, they said that must never happen. Now, both the English and the Greek, it's hard to know the antecedents of all of those pronouns. Who is they? Is Jesus referring to when the people heard this, or is he talking about when the religious leaders who were in the crowd, when they heard this? And what is this? When they heard what? Was it the entire parable? Was it when they heard about the murder of the son? Or was it when they heard about the owner's intent to come and kill the tenants and give the vineyard to others. 
I, I personally think that as Luke was recording this, perhaps even as Jesus was saying it, but as Luke was recording it, that he purposely left this statement vague. In other words, it speaks to us today in the same way that it spoke to uh, to the hearers, the first hearers. That way we can find ourselves in that story too. Exactly. It, it draws you in to say, okay, am I part of they? And when I heard what about the murder of the son, when I heard about giving the vineyard to others, killing the tenant farmers and giving it to others, they said that must never happen. What must not happen? that the owner would come and kill the tenant farmers and give it to others, or they must not kill the son. Well, that's where Jesus then applies it by quoting a scripture, Psalm 118, verse 22. So if it was the crowds, the people, if they were objecting that, no, the son, you can't murder the son, Jesus pointed out this scripture in Psalm 118, 22. Well, what, what about the scripture that says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And he was obviously talking about if the son is rejected, if he is rejected, then he's, he's going to become the cornerstone of the gospel. Pointing to his being rejected by Israel and the religious leaders, it foreshadows the extreme measure that they were going to go to to get rid of Jesus. They were going to kill him. We've already been told uh, once in Luke 19, 45 through 48, they were intended to kill him. And afterward, in verse 19, that's exactly how the religious leaders understood the parable. It was against them. And so Luke said in verse 19, the scribes and chief priests looked for a way to get their hands on him because they knew he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. <laughs> Still being restrained by the, the crowd, the bigger crowd's acceptance of Jesus. And uh, so we're, we're left with this parable saying to us that Jesus is like that Jesus is that son who was sent to get the fathers what belonged to the father. And yet those tenant farmers killed the son. And the, the religious leaders of the Jews, they are those tenant farmers. They are going to kill the son of God, the Messiah in this harebrained idea that somehow by doing that, they were doing God's will. They'd get the possession of the vineyard. Whenever I read this, this parable, I'm always struck that the hearers ignore the treatment of the servants and the son in some yeah, ways. I, exactly. I, I, don't know how to, I, I don't know how to feel about that. You know, the idea was that uh, the, the treatment of prophets prior to the Old Testament prophets and, and even uh, treatment of, of like John the Baptist, uh, prophets in the New Testament era. Uh, those were messengers of God who were trying to call the people to repentance and preparation for the coming of the Messiah. 
uh, and the, the Jewish leaders, by and large, ignored that, rejected it, uh, fought against that. And so here comes the Son, who is Jesus himself, the Messiah, the Son of God. And not only will they beat him, but they will take his life. They'll crucify him and think they get rid of him. But that's, that's where he calls attention to this Psalm 8, 118, 22. Yeah, you, you think you're going to get rid of me, but what's actually going to happen is I'm going to become that cornerstone, that stone that is, holds it all together, that is the foundation stone, the capstone, uh, however we would understand that, that idea of the cornerstone. You, you mentioned uh, Psalm 118. The Bible skill for this particular session focuses on Psalm 118, and it, we're encouraged to look at Acts 4, uh, Romans 9, Ephesians 2, and 1 Peter 2, because in those uh, four places, the, this passage, this 118, 22 from Psalms, is quoted. And the Bible skill calls for us to read those, compare them, see how those help us better understand the Luke 20 quote, and then what other insights we gain about Jesus being the cornerstone through, the, through looking at not just what we find here in Luke 20, but what we find in Acts 4, Romans 9, Ephesians 2, and 1 Peter 2. That'd be a great tool, great way probably to, for me, I'm thinking about ending my Bible study time by looking at those passages and kind of summing it all up about what the role Jesus is as the cornerstone, not just for, not just in the, in this particular parable about the vineyard, but also for how that relates to us today in our world. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and uh, to me, as I was thinking about uh, my Bible study group and uh, you know, there, there's some of our participants who are, uh, they are dig deeper people. <laughs> yeah. They love to dig into the scriptures and, and find cross references and uh, do this kind of thing. So, you know, I, I thought, well, a couple of things you might, a leader might do is either assign this ahead of time to some of those folks who, who love to do the digging deeper, or if you uh, do it as a group activity during the session there, you could pair up people with some of those uh, digging deeper uh, gifted people uh -huh. and let them as, as teams. Uh, but you, you'd want to watch your time. Yeah, if you created four teams, you could assign each one of the teams one of these right. passages and let them exactly. just focus on That's that one and compare it to 20. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. David, any other key insights you would share with us about this particular passage in Luke 20? The, the idea about the hearers ignoring the treatment of the servant and the sons, let me go back to that just for a moment. It's, it's possible that some of the hearers in just the, just the people, not the temple people, but uh, the temple leaders, but the people were the ones saying that um, that must never happen in terms of, no, the son must, must not, that, that's just not right for the son to be killed. Uh, so they recognized the injustice and the wickedness perpetrated by the tenants, and they reacted against that. But if the religious leaders were not phased by that feature of the parable, they, they, they realized that Jesus was telling this parable against them. Uh, and so that feature that provoked them was the final comment that the owner 
would come and kill the farmers and give the vineyard to others. The idea was not. In other words, if you're thinking about uh, that statement in verse 19 really being the statement of the religious leaders, it, it just shows how self-righteous but also hard-hearted uh, that you would not react against the beating of servants. You would not react against the killing of sons, of the son. But when it came to the point that, hey, uh, what you have, you're, you're a temple leader, what you have might be taken away from you and given to others. That it reminded me of a passage is in John's gospel, but it, it speaks to this parable as well, and particularly that verse 19 in Luke. Uh, in John 11, 45 to 48, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead, and a number of people were believing in Jesus following this, this sign, this resurrection or this restoration of Lazarus from the dead. When the religious leaders convened the Sanhedrin, after that event to discuss what they were gonna do with Jesus. They said, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So that, that was where the hearts of the religious leaders were in regard to Jesus. They did not want what they felt like they had worked for, what they had earned, what they deserved. They didn't want it taken away. Only other option then was to fulfill that parable and kill Jesus. And that's what they, that's what they did. Thank you all for, for listening to us today. If you have comments or questions, you're welcome to send me an email at dwayne.mccreary at lifeway.com. That's D-W-A-Y-N-E dot M-C-C. R-A-R-Y at lifeway.com, and I'll do my best to answer your questions. If I don't know the answer, I'll find the right person who can answer your question. Thank you for joining us this week. Next week, we'll be looking at Luke 20. We're looking at the institution of the Lord's Supper.